0: Roxy, we both live alone, and I take it that both of us are pretty happy.
1: Yeah, no one to tell me when to do the dishes or when to clean my books up.
0: So what would it take for you to agree to have a roommate at this point? I think what I really
1: want is just a neighbor who I know that I could, like, walk over and knock on the door and be like,
0: hey, I just made this great food. Come enjoy it with me. Yeah, I I think there have been some TV shows about this kind of person, friends, (laughs) friends, Seinfeld. This is the thing, is
1: that the TV shows told me I would have Kramer as my neighbor to come over and eat my
0: cereal. I think there might be some trade-offs with having Kramer as your neighbor. (laughs) (laughs) From Religion News Service, this is Saved by the City, a podcast from two single Christian women enjoying living alone most of the time without becoming strange cat ladies. I'm Caitlin Beatty. And I'm Roxy Stone. And I have a cat. Many people have commented on how lonely a place New York City can be.
1: Mark Twain, in fact, has commented on it.
0: I see we're back to the Mark Twain
1: quotes. He's been missing all season. Welcome back. He said, New York is a splendid desert, a domed and steepled solitude, where the stranger is lonely in the midst of a million of his race.
0: There are so many people here. You know, you can't go anywhere without seeing people. Like, it doesn't matter if it's in the dead of night, you'll run into people. And yet, sometimes that feels lonelier than if you were all alone.
1: It is. It's weird. It's a unique pain to be around so many people, yet they don't really know you. And they can walk by without even looking at you. And you can feel lonelier maybe than even just if you were with one person or even sometimes even if you were just by yourself. Mm-hmm. I've been crying, you know, in public before and nobody said anything. And in some ways that's nice because mm-hmm. you're like, oh, I can just go ahead and cry and nobody's going to bother me about it. But then also you're like, why doesn't anybody care that I'm crying?
0: <laughs> I'm sure if you got on the train at like a busy time and you were really loud about it, you'd you'd get a couple looks. Yeah, I've definitely cried in public in New York. I feel like that's kind of a quintessential. <laughs> oh yeah,
1: we've talked about that.
0: It's hard to know who your people are, I think mm-hmm. in a place as big as this. Where I lived before in the Chicago suburbs, like of course I there were times when I experienced loneliness, but if something really came up, I knew who to turn to. In a place like New York, it feels like to see your friends, you really have to plan ahead. Yeah. And then in the in-between times, you can feel really isolated.
1: Yeah. And I think there's so much to do in New York. And it feels like you should be out doing something. And it's like if you don't have plans with some of your friends out at a Broadway show or seeing a movie or going to a museum or whatever, then maybe nobody likes you or nobody cares about you or you're you're just the lonely person in your apartment by yourself, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, friends, this is depressing. (laughs) So what's been a New York experience that has really captured this kind of loneliness for you? You know, beyond the pandemic loneliness, what has really distilled that aloneness for you?
1: Yeah, I could definitely tell a lot of pandemic stories, but I will go back to before the pandemic. I fell on some stairs. I think this was on Halloween, maybe.
0: This is why I don't like Halloween. (laughs) It's a cursed day. And I
1: broke my tailbone, which if anybody listening has broken their tailbone, they will understand the unique and excruciating pain of that. Your tailbone is connected to like everything in your body somehow <laughs> like you blink and your tailbone hurts it feels like but <laughs> it takes a long time to heal and the first like two weeks of that it's hard to get out of bed like literally just like rolling over in bed is excruciating and so I was just home mm-hmm. and there's nothing they can do for it right like there's no like cast yeah they can x-ray and tell you it's broken but they can't do anything about it it's just a thing that heals it on its own So I just had to be at home because I couldn't go into the office. I couldn't sit in a chair for two weeks. Mm -hmm. And then I had to sit on a donut after that for a while. Mm -hmm. So it's also kind of a humiliating injury. But I was in so much pain, like I couldn't really get up and cook for myself and do things for myself. And I think that was one of the most poignant times of feeling really alone in New York because... I really needed people and Mm -hmm. I didn't have anybody close enough or around enough. It was one time where I was like, I just want a roommate who could like bring me some water Mm -hmm. and like run to the store and get the toilet paper that I'm out of. You know, (laughs) like things like that, that were just really simple that I wasn't going to like call a friend to come get on a subway and come up from Chelsea or Brooklyn and go get me some soup. But I really did need somebody and wanted somebody. And I just, and I think this is what a lot of New Yorkers end up doing. I just ended up paying. Like I would just like Mm -hmm. order stuff to be delivered. And so actually being single and alone is also kind of expensive
0: sometimes. Um, Mm. I mean, aside from paying rent on your own. (laughs) You
1: pay rent on your own. You pay like a task rabbit to come build a piece of furniture for you because it takes two people or things like that or when you're sick Mm -hmm. to deliver
0: things and maybe especially as women Mm -hmm. if there's like physical strength involved which I do not really have any then you feel like you kind of understand the trope of like we just need a man around here some for some reason that person talks like that (laughs) I don't even know what (laughs) accent that was um but like (laughs) you know somebody with like physical strength who can just be there to help Because there are certain things that I can't do on my own. Like I had to get a new mattress several months ago and I live on the fourth floor of a four story walk up and Mm -hmm. there was just no way that I could Mm -hmm. carry Mm -hmm. a mattress up on my own. And I had to get rid of my old one. So I like paid someone. I paid a task rabbit, a dude to come over and just take my old mattress to the curb. Yeah. And I was like, I guess this is what it means to be a single independent woman is like, (laughs) I'm just shelling out money for handyman. (laughs) I know.
1: It's a little ridiculous. There's times of feeling helpless and that's frustrating. And then there's times of feeling lonely. And sometimes one will lead to the other where I start to really spiral. Like, Nobody cares about me. Nobody loves me. Nobody even remembers that my tailbone is broken and I'm in bed right now. Mm -hmm. I'm probably going to die here alone and nobody's going to know for weeks. And then my cat might eat me. You know, that's what that's the spiral.
0: (laughs) So we went from. I'd really like somebody to watch this TV show with me to my cat is going to eat my corpse. Yeah, this is the darkness of yeah, loneliness. That is a yeah. spiral. I do think that's probably one of the big differences about like living alone and maybe feeling a little bit isolated, but it doesn't become an occasion for negative self-talk. It's like, mm-hmm. I know people love me. I know people think about me and mm-hmm. care about me. And I, I just spending a night alone like everybody does versus a loneliness that kind of reflects back lies about your Mm -hmm. self-worth or your value what you mean to other people and certainly have I've gone through periods of time here where I haven't heard from people I haven't heard from friends for a while Mm -hmm. but then I resist being the one to reach out because then then I'm insecure right about am I always the one that has to reach out and if that's true Mm -hmm. does that mean that that person doesn't care about the friendship as much as I care about it. So I i res- I res resonate with how loneliness can become more than just being alone. It, it can become a kind of, it can lead to self-doubt and insecurity.
1: Yeah. And I think there's a lot of information out, a lot of people talking right now about the dangers of loneliness and the escalation of loneliness. And medical professionals recognize like, People do die sooner when they live alone or when they experience loneliness. There's like escalated rates of suicide. There's all kinds of health issues that can be associated with loneliness. So I don't think it's something that we just can shrug off or just say, oh, Mm -hmm. there's something wrong with it's just me and I'm just feeling lonely. Mm -hmm. Um, I just need to buck it up and be stronger or quit. Worrying about whether people like me. Like, I think there's real consequences to Mm -hmm. both being alone and then feeling lonely, especially over time.
0: Right. It's not just an individual problem, it's a systemic problem that has significant costs on a societal level.
1: Yeah. So I think it's, especially when we're talking to Christians and when we're talking to church leaders, I think this is something people have to in those positions need to be thinking about as they think about, oh, there are probably more and more people in my congregation who are lonely. Mm
0: -hmm. I will say on a positive note, I have found going to church in New York City to be a less lonely experience than being part of churches in the past that were very family oriented, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. in New York and other major cities, it's definitely more common for people to be single for longer stretches of time, yes. to attend church by themselves, to live alone. There's a way in which it doesn't feel as odd. Yeah.
1: Speaking of church in New York City, we thought it would be fun to bring on our favorite priest from New York. Hot priest! Who we've had on the podcast before. You loyal listeners will remember. Welcome back, Ben.
2: Good to be back. Hot priest! Here we go.
0: (laughs) (laughs) How have you experienced New York and when it comes to combating loneliness versus feeling connected to other people?
2: I think I've been really lucky. Mm -hmm. I talked to other clergy in other areas of the country who are pretty lonely, or maybe their congregation isn't their age or, you know, for whatever reason. But my congregation welcomed me with open arms. And so I've Thankfully, just really not had the experience that some of my peers... I'm, just, I'm in some of those Facebook groups for Just Clergy. Oh, those. And some of them talk about loneliness quite mm-hmm. a bit. And I feel bad mm-hmm. a lot of times because I can't relate. I don't feel that bad. But <laughs> but yeah, no, a lot of people who actually take the time to make a meeting with me tend to be pretty lonely.
1: Oh, really? That's a common thing that you hear when people come to you and want sort of a pastor to talk to they are coming to you out of a place of loneliness or seeking pastoral guidance on that
2: I t- it's actually tends to be people who don't actually oh. come or who rarely come folks who wake up to panic attacks at three o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. and they're kind of wondering about their life they're wondering you know I, I make a lot of money and my career is kind of sort of the way i want it or not so that, that's a pretty recurring mm-hmm. theme for sure
0: and friends that people make in New York can feel really transient. You can't get too attached to people because they might drift off, you know, in three to five years.
2: Totally. My first year, two years here, I uh, became friends with all the people who left. So mm-hmm. I asked some of my long-term New Yorker friends, what's, what's the tell? Is there a tell whether someone's going to stick around or whether they're peacing out? And everybody just kind of laughed at that. But I was really looking for an answer. Uh, but I mean, I, mean like, I don't know about you guys, but I, I felt like I was lonelier when I was in middle school and high school. Um, <laughs> just being a Christian in the Northeast, that was pretty weird. You were like, by default, <laughs> by definition, uncool.
0: Aw. I mean, I was a dork for different reasons in high school, primarily because I was in marching band. Mm. <laughs> but- you know, marching band is where the dorks come together say. and That's, really form yeah, a bond. Right, right. And like a they they amass their power <laughs> to take over.
1: I wanted to be more lonely in high school, I think, or uh, more alone in high popular. school. That was
2: a little humble brag <laughs> well, right it's, there.
1: It's not that. It's that. It's that when you're <laughs> in a really small town, everyone knows you. Everyone knows your business. So it's just like getting to be by yourself is like actually kind of a hard thing mm. in a small town.
0: Well. I think what you're describing is like anonymity. Yeah. You know, which you can find in abundance in, in New, New York. York. Like New York is the only place I've ever lived where I never felt weird about going to a restaurant by myself. Mm-hmm. You know, like that is such a common thing yeah. here. No one would bat an eye. When I lived in the suburbs, it was like, oh, mm-hmm. just one. I know that just, just like, one.
2: Shut up. It's 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 someone yeah. in the restaurant goes and sits <laughs> next to you because they feel bad for you.
0: <laughs> like, I am here alone on purpose. <laughs> Yes, I, I enjoy that. Um, so I think there's, if you like being alone, which I mean, I, I do oftentimes, it can be great. It's just, you know, you can only be alone for so long. And then you realize I really need, I need deep connection. I need deep friendship. And it, it I think... Maybe this is just the reality of being an adult is that you realize that friendships don't just happen. You have to mm-hmm. make an intentional effort to keep them going.
2: Totally. I think over the past year and a half, too, especially last year when we were just all shut down here in New York. They might not have been in Florida or Austin or wherever, but I, a bunch of parishioners didn't realize how lonely they were. and Yeah. I don't know how to say this nicely, but kind of started like acting out or... Yeah, losing their minds a little bit just, yeah, mm-hmm. you can, I'm an introvert. I like my alone time, but when, it, when it's too long, when I'm locked up in my studio forever, uh, you can't blame people for, mm-hmm. for going a little crazy. I mean, I know I would have. I also think like there's a lot we can learn from uh, people for who, for whatever reason, uh, are celibate. And are committed to it. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Most of the people I meet, monks, nuns, just people who have committed to celibacy, they're not unaware that they need deep intimacy. And they're not going to get it Mm -hmm. from a partner. And I think they have a lot to teach us. Because I think we put way too much weight on our significant others. And they just—they cannot carry that burden. No matter how Mm -hmm. in sync you, you are with your partner. So yeah, you need other people. And I think a lot of times these folks are on the forefront of showing us just what that might look like. Because most of the monks and the nuns and the celibate people I meet are, of course, go through periods of loneliness, but aren't like particularly lonely the way um, a lot of my friends are who are looking for that significant other.
1: Well, thanks for joining us again, Ben DeHart. We're always glad to have you on and... um to hear a little a little mini sermon. I do feel like we got a little mini sermon. I can't sermon help in it. I'm good.
2: sorry. I uh, know.
0: <laughs> and for listeners who would like to know where else they can listen to you sermonize, where should they turn?
2: Our Triune Pod. We're going from devotionals on prayers to devotionals on the Psalms. So it's me and my best friend from college. We have a lot of fun. I hope you will too.
1: Thanks, Ben. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Thanks for joining us again. Awesome. Appreciate it. Well, we're excited about today's guest. She is a fellow single Christian woman in her 30s, and she's written quite a bit about the experience of loneliness and also some tips for transforming it.
0: Akemene Uwan is a co host of the Truths Table podcast, a public theologian and co-author of the upcoming Truths Table book out next year.
3: There just seems to be like this epidemic of loneliness. I think we've seen, you know, a bunch of op-eds about this, studies about how loneliness is just ravaging our society, regardless of our our relationship, you know, status.
1: Our conversation with Akemini is coming up just after the break. Religion News Service is an independent, award-winning source of global reporting on religion, spirituality, culture, and ethics. Get the news on the views and the pews. And if you like what we're doing at Save By the City," let us know. Throw us a rating or review. It goes a long way toward helping get the word out about the show.
0: I don't know if you guys know this, but Ed Stetzer, He loves us, he tweets about us, he talks to his friends about us. So be like Ed y'all. Be like Ed. You can also email us at
1: SBTCPodcast at religionnews.com. We'd love to hear from you, and we will reply just like we replied to Ed.
0: Well, thanks so much for being with us today, Akemini. It's good to see you. Yes, it's great to have you on. Good to see you too. Thanks for having me. So we didn't have you here to talk about singleness, but we probably will get into that. And I I believe that all three of us are... Single Christian women living in cities, uh, professionally oriented, and in our late 30s, I want to (laughs) say. (laughs) Yeah. So, because we've thought a lot about singleness and we probably have absorbed a lot of attitudes about what singleness means in the church, do you think it's the case that single people are more lonely than married people? Why or why not?
3: There just seems to be like this epidemic of loneliness. I think we've seen, you know, a bunch of op-eds about this, studies about how Mm -hmm. loneliness is just ravaging our society, regardless of our marital status or relationship, you know, status. Of course, if you're going to make comparisons between uh, married people and single people, I think we have to go on a case-by-case basis. You know, I know that there's Plenty of married people that I know who feel deeply alone. Uh, but then I think I, mm-hmm. I think also for single people, particularly those who have had to uh, go through or, or, and who are still currently navigating the complexities of being in a pandemic and not having a manual on how to do that <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. or, <laughs> as no a single, uh, I I think there's a, a deep and profound loneliness that a lot of singles have felt. Liberty mm-hmm. to express, you know, they don't have uh somebody to quarantine with right when we were quarantining or just feeling deep isolation deep isolation mm-hmm. especially before the vaccines rolled out right so you you really were a little scared or or more scared of gathering and congregating with other uh, other people you know just for the sake of having some sort of a social life and just some some fellowship with other people and so mm-hmm. i do think that it's been exacerbated by lots of external forces obviously the pandemic um but i'd also say social media i don't think that's helping us right yeah um, but i think it's exacerbating just our own um proclivity toward comparison and so it's hard to say whether whether yeah. single people are more you know um lonely than married people or married people are more lonely than single people. I think loneliness is a is a real, it's endemic in our society right now.
1: Why do you think that is? I agree with you. I've seen, you know, more conversations about the loneliness epidemic. You know, there's, there was the whole bowling alone book. Like, what do you think it is in our society that's exacerbating loneliness or creating these, a sort of system? of? Loneliness?
3: Yeah, well, I think that there's just a societal breakdown. I think there's just institutions that we mm-hmm. used to be able to You know, maybe bank on, never perfect, you know, but that we could bank (laughs) on, look to, that we just don't trust uh, for legitimate reasons uh, because of things that have happened and transpired, right? And so, or things that are being uncovered, Mm -hmm. injustices that are taking place. So, even if you just think about the church, just the ways that, you know, people are speaking about the abuses they've experienced, the traumas that they've experienced. And I'm a church woman, I love the church, I serve the church. I'm in the church. (laughs) So I speak from this place, from a place of love, you know, but I think that in some ways that built-in network (laughs) of fellowship, Mm -hmm. I think is not as readily available for, for people in the ways that it had been maybe many years ago. The ways that the economy is shaped now where uh, a lot of jobs, in order to get a job, you kind of just have to open up your search range. So you have to be willing to move out of uh, maybe your hometown right? Right, or your home state, right. moving away from family and moving into maybe a city in order to secure employment. And so you're away from your family. You're away from your kinship network that you had. And mm-hmm. so that also contributes to loneliness. And then if you're older, if you're in your 30s, it's harder to make friends. Yes, it is. <laughs> so there's a lot of things that I think are contributing to the loneliness that we feel, right? And then I think social yeah. media in some ways, so we're connected, but we're disconnected. And so it has us in silos where we're just mm-hmm. scrolling, scrolling every day. So you only see the glossy part of our lives. You don't see, you know, maybe the struggles and the tossing and turnings. And that's that's our own prerogative on what we want to share or divulge on social media. But I do think that in some ways it's hampered our ability to really make um, strong social connections.
0: Well, I, I definitely resonate with the sense that social media on one hand seems to connect you with, you know, similar minded people. You can get right. on in every time. You can have this like chatty interaction and that it almost is a simulated kind of intimacy or connection. Yeah, but of course, no one on Twitter is checking in with me if I'm sick, and I, I need someone to come mm-hmm. bring me medicine or right. soup or you know they don't they don't know and see my day to day life, and actually, not many people do. I think I love living in mm-hmm. a city, but I definitely feel far away from family and close yes. friendship, and it just takes so much more effort to connect with people. Going back to the pandemic for you, we're still in it. <laughs> Not totally yeah. out of it, but yeah. <laughs> kind of in the worst or most intense months. What was your experience as a single person and how did you deal with those profound feelings of disconnection? What were some like practical ways to to deal with those feelings?
3: It was just really shocking. Yeah, it was just a really odd experience and so I'm I'm really grateful I actually Right before the pandemic hit, I actually moved in with a family member. And I'm glad that I did because I would have, Yeah, it would have been really difficult for me to have to navigate the pandemic by myself as someone who's been living on their own. And it was kind of like, oh my goodness, like, so what does this mean for like, as a single person, my career, you know, what I'm doing, yeah. like, oh, like, what will this look like now? Like in this pandemic and maybe post pandemic, what does my love life look like? which was, you know, not quite uh, on an upward trajectory anyway. And you're like, wow, so this is, this is not going to help, I don't think, but God can do anything. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so you're just thinking about all these different factors and how will I, you know, make ends meet? So it was, it, so it was just a flood of like, I guess you could say anxiety riddled um, thoughts of like, how am I going to make it? You know, and of course, did, God did provide and has pivoted and, you know, and uh, um, I, I would say shifted my career in some some ways that I think are good and positive. One thing that helped me during the uh, pandemic was joining a prayer line. And so we pray at seven. Mm. Duh, 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 duh. Yes, seven a.m. Central Time, Monday mm. through Friday, from like seven until seven forty-five ish or so. That mm. was really grounding. Really helped me every single <laughs> really day of the That's... week. Or... Monday through yeah, Monday through Friday. Wow. So I found myself doing those spiritual disciplines, you know, that's also helped to continue to anchor me, Mm -hmm. keeping up my exercise uh, routine. That is something that's always been constant. I just felt like because everything was so out of control, I had to try to get bearings on like, what can I control? And being with family, uh, that, you know, I'm not going to act like that's not a big deal. That really helped me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Definitely.
1: You know, I think a lot of us learned how to be how to be more comfortable in solitude and maybe even some healthy ways of like maybe some ways we needed to disconnect. What do you think is the difference between loneliness and solitude? Like the difference between a good kind of aloneness and the damaging hard kind?
3: I think the difference is kind of agency. When I hear solitude mm-hmm. I think about agency it's like I'm choosing to <laughs> I'm choosing to steal away for this moment or I'm I'm choosing mm-hmm. to say no to this opportunity because of my own you know um, either it doesn't align with what I want to do <laughs> or I need to be able to have some time you know to nourish myself to build in some emotional capacity bandwidth you know to do maybe um, to mm-hmm. tend to myself before I can say Yes. Whereas I think loneliness, I want to say there's like external factors, you know, that contribute to that loneliness, that um, if Mm -hmm. you had the agency and the power to change it, it would, you would not choose that. It doesn't feel good. And if I, if there was some way I could change this, I would want to, and this is the way I would like to shape my life.
1: There were ways, I think, before the pandemic that I felt overstretched and like so much was going on, you know, and then I think it was the pandemic had some correctives in that mm-hmm. way and then it went too far. And then it was like, okay, I'm just alone all the time. And that's not healthy. Yeah. When you talked about that in the, the agency versus just having that choice made for you, I think my my follow-up question to that was well, when you do feel lonely, can you transform that into the good kind of solitude? Mm. How do you approach that?
3: I think you have to try to locate yourself in that feeling of loneliness. To be like, what? asking yourself, what do I need in this moment? Is it that mm-hmm. I need to be around, you know, um, some other human beings, you know, to reach, you know, to recharge mm-hmm. uh, uh, my energy, to feel um, connected? What would help?
0: There was like a month ago where I was like, I'm feeling really disconnected. And I'm I'm pretty introverted. I live by myself. Most of the time I yeah. live by myself. And I realized that it had been an entire week since I had had face-to-face contact with someone besides like a cashier this just isn't humanly healthy. You know, I need, Absolutely. That, even if it's like small talk, even if it's not super deep, like I need some kind of in person connection yes. with a friend. Yes. I think what's hard about loneliness is when it, it can kind of start to spiral where it feels connected to these like deeper questions about your own worth or like Mm -hmm. do people remember Mm -hmm. me like why won't anybody text me I don't want to be the one to reach Mm -hmm. out like it's connected to Mm -hmm. deeper desires of wanting to be known wanting to be remembered wanting to feel like my presence matters to other people and you know you can get into a bad place where you don't feel like you have the energy to address the loneliness and you find other coping mechanisms some that are good like exercise is great prayer is great others mm-hmm. of us found other forms of coping
3: during the right. pandemic yeah
0: that weren't so great and then you learn actually you know <laughs> drinking a couple of glasses of wine doesn't actually address the loneliness it just numbs you to the feeling right yes right.
3: yes yes yeah just
0: hypothetically yeah, right. you know, not that I did that but like I heard others <laughs> yeah <say
3: that. laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good point, though. You're right. There are some habits yep. that people have taken on that maybe aren't so great for us, right? Physically and things like that. Loneliness does begin to lie to us, right? Um, mm. About our worthiness. It can really begin to eat away at us, right? And so we can try to turn down the volume of that mm. accusatory mm-hmm. voice with alcohol, with weed. You know, with sex, with social media, social media with binging, binging with, yeah, I with mean, it's, drugs, with binge. <laughs> Pick your vice, but I do think the loneliness thing is the communal aspect. We just don't have those communal mm-hmm. ties the way that we've had many years mm-hmm, ago. Mm-hmm. Our community mm-hmm. can help keep us in check. I think if we have a good community.
0: Yeah. So on that that note about community, you'd mentioned like the role of institutions, including the church, right? That. 20, 30 years ago, more Americans were kind of committed to these larger institutions, larger bodies. I think we we are all here committed to the church, going to church. We are connected to a church community. I think Roxy and I have both had mixed experiences in the church (laughs) as single people. Mm Mm-hmm. Especially if you're mm-hmm. in a church that is a little more family oriented, or a lot right. of your age peers are just in a different season of life. So, what has your experience in the church been like, Echemini? And what do you need churches to know about you as a single person regarding the, the potential for loneliness?
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. um, goodness. So, what's interesting is that now that we're in the pandemic, my church, we still have not come together in person yet. You know, that's tough. <laughs> As a single person, especially if you join the church right before the pandemic, like I did. And so so you don't know, you know, so you don't really know uh, people and they don't really know you yet. And that's nobody's fault. But I would say prior to that, I think my experience in the church, it's been, um, you know, it's been mixed. When we talk about singleness, particularly when it comes to me being a Black woman who is single. I talk about this in Mm -hmm. um, in the Truth Table book.
0: That's coming out. Mm -hmm. It's
3: coming out in um, a little
0: plug. It's coming out in April. Yes, April twenty twenty two. Truths Table. What is the subtitle?
3: Yeah, Truths Table: Black Women's Musings on Life, Love, and Liberation. It's gonna be so good. Uh, yes. God willing. Uh, yeah. And So um, so I have uh, a chapter in there called uh, Hidden in Plain Sight, A Single Black Woman's Manifesto. And uh, mm. it's the longest chapter. <laughs> I have a lot to say. Um, <laughs> when it comes to, at least me, singleness as a Black woman, I know full well that there are systemic factors that have gone into why Mm -hmm. I am a single black woman. Uh, Why I'm not the only, I'm the only one, right? Mm -hmm. Mass incarceration is a big one. Right. And then and you Mm -hmm. just think about just the marriageability pool for black women. It's just not good. And then you think about just the fact that black women tend to be the least desired, even when we are in the marriageability pool. So there's a lot of different factors that are outside of my control with regard Mm to um, singleness. And so I think we take it for granted as something that's just naturally going to happen. Mm -hmm. That Mm -hmm. has not been the case. There have been some church contexts where I don't think they've really reckoned with the systemic Impacts of these dynamics that have gone on um, that have been designed Mm -hmm. really to attack and destroy uh, the Black family in this country. But I think because there are so many single Black women in, say, um, the Black church context, there's not been so much of a shame or stigma Mm -hmm, attached to mm -hmm. being single. I'm not saying that's the case across the board for all Black churches. I'm not saying that at all. I've seen where me being a single woman who has been a single for a long while, right? And who is also public. I've seen where um, sometimes the pastor is deeply insecure about that for whatever reason. And so I've seen where the pastor is in some sort of weird weird pseudo competition where they uh, ward themselves off from you For fear of, I don't. Yeah. Okay. Maybe this relationship. uh, Yeah, I
1: know that. Okay,
3: whatever this perception is, or this fear of being, you know, alone with a single woman, it's just it's it's -hmm, it's rooted mm -hmm. in a lot of sexism and a lot of misogyny. Truthfully, Mm -hmm. and I think we have to call that what it is. And then I've had, you know, contexts where. My calling and what I do is embraced fully uh, and cultivated mm-hmm. and nourished and nurtured. Obviously, that's the ideal scenario. <laughs> but mm-hmm. so there's been a whole lot of different experiences that I've had uh, with regard to my singleness in the church. Mm-hmm. How about you all?
1: You know, I think I've had a lot of different experiences, too. Several mirror what you've described, maybe until I moved to New York City I was mostly in churches where they were just very family-oriented. And so, you know, so much of the life of the church was built around family ministries, family gatherings, like things that you kind of felt on the outside of as a single person. Since moving to New York, it's different because so many more people are single and single later. Yes.
0: In previous churches where there was a lot of orientation around families, I think it would have been easier to deal with if there hadn't also been a kind of theological framing of marriage as like yes, the best yes. blessing or the thing that God mm-hmm. intends for every good Christian Yes, or the yes. thing that is coming to you if you just learn contentment now in this season. Even though nobody said this explicitly, it felt like I was like a lesser Christian or something because I wasn't married Mm -hmm. with kids.
3: Yes. I mean, I think it's important for, you know, whoever is listening, particularly church leaders, you know, pastors, if they're listening, to know that single people in your congregation is that we are people to be loved, you know, not people to be fixed.
1: You mentioned earlier, like it is harder to make friends the older you get. It is. So- any tips or tricks on how to make <laughs> how do we make friends as Kevini? you get older? How do
3: we tell tell
1: us how we could make friends?
3: <laughs> I think we do have to be a little. Um, we have to be willing to be vulnerable to put ourselves out there. The primary way that I made my friends have I have always made my friends post college was through my church, and so I think you you have to be able to step out <laughs> uh, and be mm-hmm. be willing to open yourself up to the possibility of rejection. I hate rejection. It's mm-hmm. something that's deeply intimate. Sometimes on the other side of that courage and that vulnerability is a beautiful budding friendship that awaits, you know, but I know it can be scary, but why is it that yeah. we're willing to take those leaps when it comes to like romantic relationships, but we're not always mm-hmm. willing to take those leaps when it comes to, you know, platonic friendships. Mm-hmm. That's actually what's going to last. I talk about how friendship as yeah. is eschatological. We will have friends in glory, Like marriage is not going to last, you know, between husband and wife. That's not going to last. We're not going to be married, you know, to one another in glory, but we will have friends. You know, Jesus is our Mm -hmm. friend. And so I think we don't put enough respect on friendship. So I say, put yourself out there, um, show yourself kind and friendly. Uh, If somebody, you know, is trying to maybe perhaps Mm -hmm. build a friendship, be receptive. To that, mm-hmm. Or you yourself put yourself out there. If you see somebody that's like, oh, you know, they're really a cool person. I should get to know them, you know, mm-hmm. at a deeper, deeper level than just maybe exchanging DMs or whatever, and really just begin to get to know that person. So mm-hmm. you got to put yourself out there. <laughs> you said, we
0: That's can't good. get around That's it. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. Any any kind can't. of intimacy and connection requires risk, is what I hear you say.
3: Yes. So, yes. You know, and and you never know how that risk will that pay off. Yes. You know. Yes. And it will be rewarded. I should say.
0: <laughs> well, thank mm-hmm. you for being vulnerable with us, Akemini. Yes. Um, and for these like tips and reminders yeah, that friendship welcome. is the thing we're headed toward <laughs> and is. You know, if we're lucky in this life, we'll get friends that last a lifetime. So um, for those listeners who want to learn more about Akemeni,
3: where can they find you? Well, thank you all so much for having me um, on the show. Yeah, yeah. Your your listeners can follow me on Twitter at Sista underscore Theology and on Instagram at Assistant theology, um, and then you can also listen, you know, to uh, our, the podcast I co-host uh, called Truth Table, and you can follow our podcast on Instagram at Truth Table and Twitter is the same handle as well. And then the book that I mentioned, Truth Table: Black Women's mm-hmm. Musings on Life, Love, and Liberation, will be out in April in time for Resurrection Sunday. And so <laughs> so Yay, you, can you can pre-order that book now um, on Bookshop.org uh, and really wherever books are sold. So, yeah, thank you all for having me. Thank you, Roxy. Thank you, Caitlin. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you.
1: We've been talking about how hard it is to make friends as an adult. So have you made any recently? Like in the last year, say, have you made any new friends, Caitlin?
0: Well, I think we've become better friends. Yes. Yes. that's not really making a new friend. Like, I can't check that off the list. But no. recently, I noticed another, like, single Christian woman in New York that I knew through a mutual friend uh, on Instagram. She was, like, liking some of my posts. And I thought she was, like, fun and charming. And so I messaged her and was like, hey, would you ever want to go get a drink? It, it really did feel like asking someone out. Like, it was just same into kind of DMs. nervousness. I slid into her DMs. But I was like, I, I like her vibe, you know, yeah. and I feel like we'd have stuff to talk about. And so she happened to be in Brooklyn uh, several weeks ago, and yeah, we just met up and had a couple of drinks and had a really good conversation nice. about living here and church and where where we grew up and family. And it feels like I don't. <laughs> it does really feel like I don't know where it's gonna go, you know, <laughs> but like. It was a, it was a good exercise in realizing that people are open to making new friends and it's mm-hmm. worth the risk. And a lot of people are probably more eager than you give them credit for. Like don't assume that everybody just has their group and is too busy. Mm-hmm. Like err on the side of assuming that everybody wants a new friend. Everybody wants a, another friend. Have you made any friends? Yeah.
1: Uh, I made a friend. Um, I started a book group um, at through my church, but it was during the pandemic, so it was all virtual. And um, one of the people that joined, uh, we've become friends. Unfortunately, she lives in Los Angeles, which is a little bit of a bummer. Hey, Alex. Mm. Um, but yeah, we became friends, and she's actually been in New York maybe three times since the pandemic, so we've hung out. But I also, she... Introduced me to a friend of hers who lives in New York, who lives literally across the street from me. So wow, I can—that's amazing. Yeah, so we've hung out a few times, and mm-hmm. um, that's been fun. And it's exciting to to maybe have that like potential of uh, to bring it full circle. A Kramer across the street, and I'm sorry, Faith, that I called you Kramer.
0: You know, I really hope that you never break your tailbone again because it sounds terrible. But (laughs) if you do, this person could be the, like, go get me some soup person.
1: Yes. (laughs) Soup delivery. Saves by the City is a Religion News Service production. The producer is Jay Woodward and the consulting editor is Paul O'Donnell. We get production assistance from Elizabeth Joy Wyndham.
0: Chaz Russo put together our look and Martin Fowler wrote our theme music. We are Roxy Stone. And Caitlin Beatty. And I have a cat. And a dog. That wasn't a dig. (laughs) As I'm (laughs) laughing maniacally, it's so convincing. (laughs)